Okay, so we are holding in Yehoshua, Perik Hay, chapter 5. Yesterday, we went through, in short, the first uh, four parakim. Yesterday, last week, we did the fourth four, four parakim, and now we're continuing in Perik Hay, Perik Hamishi. So where are we holding? Um, of course, uh, the beginning of the book of Yeshua begins right after the end of the Hamisha Chum Shetaira, right after the end of Chumash Devarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu passes away. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zion Adar, the seventh day of Adar, which was followed by a 30-day 30 30 period of mourning, um, which brings us to Zion Nisan. On Zion Nisan is when Hashem comes to Yehoshua and says that to tell the Jewish people to get ready, because in three days they're going to be crossing over the Yardin, the Jordan River, which is going to bring them into Eretz Yisrael. Um, we had the whole story of the spies that Yeshua sent last week um, into Yericho, which, of course, I'm not going to uh, go over now. But after that, we have the tremendous, tremendously miraculous crossing over the Yardin. As we pointed out last week, that just like when the Klal Yisrael left Mitzrayim and headed for Har Sinai, so we have the splitting of the sea. And just like Obi Wan Mashiach will come speedily in Mitzrayim, Hashem, that we'll have the splitting of Anahar of the river, the Euphrates River. So here we have the the other time in the Torah where we have this tremendous miracle, and that's when the Jordan is split. And we have the way it worked, that the Koyanim carried the Arin, and they went in front of the Jewish people, they stepped into the Yardin, and then the water just stopped flowing. And instead of flowing downward, it just built and built and built into this huge wall as the entire Klal Yisrael passed through the Yardin. And after they passed through the Yardin, the Kohanim, who were standing with the Oren right in the beginning of the Yardin, and the first they had just taken one step into the water, they took a step backward, and they were outside of the water, and then the Yardin just resumed at full, uh, you know, full, full regular flow. And then the the Oren miraculously carried those Kohanim over the Yardin to the rest of Klal Yisrael. And that's where we have that tremendous uh, nace of the splitting of the Yardin, definitely one of the Greatest Nisim described in Tanakh. Um, then we had the uh, Kayan who took the stones to build a Mizbeach. Okay, we went through all that. And that brings us to chapter 5, to Perikei. <clears throat> so, Perikei begins by saying that all of the nations that were in Israel at the time heard, or many of them saw, this uh, splitting of the Amsuf, the, uh, this splitting of the Yardin. And because they saw the splitting of the Yardin, so a tremendous fear and trepidation fell upon all the nations in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, now Yeshua, now Hashem comes to Yeshua and tells him a very important mitzvah, and again a very important uh, part of the story that happens. And he says that now is the time for a mass bris milah for all of the men who were born in the midbar in these last forty years. Because for the 40 years that the Jewish people traveled in the Midbar, there weren't brisim. They, weren't, they were not circumcising their sons as they were born. And Hashem tells Yeshua that at this point, before they're going to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael, it's time to do a, again, a mass bris milah for all of the men of Klal Yisrael, really. Um, which raises the question, why didn't Klal Yisrael do the bris milah throughout the 40 years in the desert. Why, I mean, why, did, they, why did this have to be done now, um, right before they're going to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael? And in Chazal, we find different answers to this question. One answer is because 
um, it seems there was a danger, a special danger associated with it. And that's because, it's, I mean, the way the, the, the way the Gemara tells it to us is that there's a certain type of wind, a certain ear, that's um, helpful in healing the wound of a bris milah. And when they were in the desert and they were surrounded by the Anane HaKovit, by the heavenly clouds, so they were also sheltered from any time, types of reg, regular wind and ear. And therefore, they were not able to do the bris milah because it was, there was some danger involved. So that's one reason given. And another reason given is that in the Midbar, they always had to be ready to journey. Right? That was the mitzvah in the Midbar, in the desert, throughout the 40 years. Um, at any day, at any given time, the, they can get the message that they have to journey because for the 40 years, they journeyed, they had the 42 journeys. And although they didn't journey every day, but they always had to be ready to journey. And therefore, they couldn't do a bris in general. So in general, Kal Yisrael did not do brisin in the Midbar, aside from Shevet Levi. Right? The same Shevet Levi who, when it came to the Egel, right? we know by the story of the Egel that although you had Kal Yisrael as a whole sins, but Shevet Levi, and the women actually also, who are, don't partake in the sin of the Egel of the Golden Calf, the same thing is when it comes to the bris milah, that although all the other Shvatim, did not do a bris, but Shevet Levi did. Um, and that's what we say, we read in Parshas Vezes HaBracha, when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving the bracha to Shevet Levi, and he says, Yeru Mishpatecha Yaakov, they're going to be the teachers of the Jewish people, they're the, the ones who are going to serve in the Mesa Mikdash. He says, Kishamru Imrasecha Uvrischa Yinsoiru. And that's in Parshas Vezes HaBracha, where it says that when it comes to the Shevet Levi, they, one of the special things is that they were able to guard the mitzvah of bris milah even though the rest of Klal Yisrael did not. So, be that as it may, we're talking here in the few days before Klal Yisrael is going to actually, they already crossed the Yarding, they crossed the Jordan, but they did not wage yet their first battle in Eretz Yisrael. So even though they crossed the water body of the Yarding, they didn't yet come into any civilized city. The first city that they were going to come to is Yericho, but that's still ahead of them. They didn't yet uh, conquer Yericho, they didn't go into Yericho. So before that, Hashem says that they have to do a bris milah, and that's what happens. The Pasuk says that Yeshua, it says Yeshua um, does the bris milah for Klal Yisrael. It's not clear from the Pasuk if Yeshua himself was the moil for, I don't know, thousands and tens of thousands of people, which is hard to understand. But it doesn't say, it says that Yeshua prepared and told them, and everyone uh, underwent, all the, uh, the men underwent a bris milah at that time. Um, after which, he says, it took a few days of healing, and then it was Pesach. Let's, we have to remember the dates over here, because they crossed the Yardin on Yud Nisan, on the 10th of Nisan. So on Yud Aleph Nisan, the 11th day of Nisan, is when Klal Yisrael, all the men, undergo a bris milah. And now, in two days, is going to be Pesach. So now comes the next um, interesting event that happens, and... Um, Hashem tells Yeshua, and Yeshua tells the Jewish people, we have to now bring a carbon Pesach. And this was Erev Pesach that they brought, the entire Klal Yisrael brought a carbon Pesach. Now, what's interesting about that is that this is only the third carbon Pesach going to be brought um, so far in history. Because the first carbon Pesach was brought on the night when they left Mitzrayim, 40 years earlier. Right? And that night... Um, the night of Makas Bechiris is when the first carbon Pesach is going to be brought. The second carbon Pesach is brought one year later, 
the first year that they are in the desert, the first year after Matan Torah, they bring a carbon Pesach. And for the subsequent 39 years, there is no carbon Pesach brought. Throughout the time in the Midbar, there's no carbon Pesach. Um, and again, why wasn't a carbon Pesach brought in the Midbar? And there's a number of answers given. Um, according to Rashi, they weren't required to. When Hashem gave him the mitzvah of Karim Pesach, he said, when you come into the land of Eretz Yisrael, you'll bring the Karim Pesach. So that first year, that first year when they did bring it, it was a special mitzvah to bring it as a one-time shot, but for the subsequent 39 years, they did not. It also, according to other opinions, is very connected with the fact that the men did not have a bris. The Torah is very explicit that one cannot bring a Karim Pesach and one doesn't have a bris. So, but be that as it may, that's the next big thing that they did. An era of Pesach, they've already crossed the Yardin, but they have not yet um, waged any battle in the land of Eretz Yisrael. They have not uh, conquered any cities in Eretz Yisrael. And now they're going to bring a carbon Pesach on era of Pesach. Now, what's so interesting is that it comes out that these two mitzvahs, which is the mitzvah of Brismila and the mitzvah of carbon Pesach, are the two mitzvahs that all of Klal Yisrael is going to do special right as they enter into the land of Eretz Yisrael, which is reminiscent of what happened exactly 40 years earlier. Right? When the Klal Yisrael is about to go out of Mitzrayim, they're also they're given these two mitzvahs. On the eve before Klal Yisrael is going to leave Mitzrayim on the, on the 14th of Nisan, in Mitzrayim, there too, Moshe Rabbeinu, has all the Jewish men circumcised themselves and has everyone bring a carbon Pesach. So here we have this amazing idea that these two mitzvahs, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, become symbolically connected both with leaving Mitzrayim and 40 years later, they're the two mitzvahs that are done, again, the entire Klal Yisrael together, now headed by Yehoshua, just before they're going to start the conquest of Eretz Yisrael which obviously means there's something very unique about these two mitzvahs. Um, in, the, uh, in the Haggadah Shal Pesach we say, and we say it, interesting question, someone just texted over here a question or chatted a question, could the Levim bring a carbon Pesach if they had a bris? That's an interesting question, I don't want to answer from the top of my head, but... Um, being that the vast majority of the Jewish people could, did not or could not bring a carbon Pesach, it would seem that a carbon Pesach is not something that just uh, can only be applicable to one shavit alone. Um, again, I'm just answering that. That's what uh, appears to me at first glance, but it's something to think about and look into. Um, but back to what we're discussing. So it's interesting that Dafka, these two mitzvahs, are the mitzvahs that made us, um, gave us the zchus of leaving Mitzrayim. Um, we, I started saying, we say in the Agadah Shal Pesach that Hashem saw us, and He saw us with blood. We say this in Agadah on, on Pesach night, that Hashem sees us in the blood, and He says, We also say this by every bris milah. And here Chazal tell us that it was the blood of the Karban Pesach and the blood of the bris milah. Those two bloods, are the ones that gave us the schus of leaving Mitzrayim, and those two are the same two mitzvahs with which we go into Eretz Yisrael. What is it about these two mitzvahs? So there's a lot, a lot about about that. I'll just say one point, which is in general we know that especially in Mitzrayim the Yidden didn't have any mitzvahs. They were very on a very low spiritual level, and Hashem wanted to give them some mitzvahs, and these two mitzvahs are symbolic of 
Sur Meira Va'asei Toiv. We know that everything, all the mitzvahs that we do, can really fall into one of those categories. One is Sur Meira, which is remo- staying away from or removing ourselves from bad. Va'asei Toiv is doing the positive, focusing on doing more mitzvahs, more positive. Now, the concept of Korban Pesach is connected more with Sur Meira. Because carbon, the Pesach um, was the lamb, and the lamb was the uh, deity, the idol of the Egyptians. So the carbon Pesach was the ability of Klal Yisrael, even many of which who themselves were idolatrous in Mitzrayim, and nevertheless to be able to um, remove themselves totally from, from idols and idolatry in order to connect to Hashem. So the carbon Pesach was going away from bad and with Mesiris Nefesh. Because they were going going up against the Egyptians with this mitzvah of Karim Pesach. Brismila is a covenant between us and Hakadosh Baruch Hu and Hashem. So that's really a covenant of positive of positivity of doing more, and a covenant that affects us and affects our, our, our actual flesh. And therefore, the Karim Pesach and the Brismila both represent a covenant, one of going away from evil and one of connecting to good. It's interesting. These are both mitzvahs asay. These are both positive commandments, Karpin Pesach and Bris Mila. There are 248 positive commandments, but the only two positive commandments that carry what's called an Isser Kares, which means that someone who doesn't do it, the um, get uh, the punishment is Kares, which means excision, cutting themselves from cutting themselves off from Hashem. The only two positive commandments that carry a, a Isser Kares is Karpin Pesach and Bris Mila. So clearly these are two mitzvahs that are very connected with the Leda, with the birth of Klal Yisrael, and um, very powerful mitzvahs. You know, bris Mila we have nowadays as well, obviously, for men, and Karban Pesach, we don't have the actual Karban Pesach until Mashiach comes, but of all the Karbanis and all, of all of these mitzvahs, these are the two that were connected with Hisias Mitzrayim, and again, are done right before Klal Yisrael is going to wage their first battle of coming into Eretz Yisrael. Okay. So we have the carbon Pesach, and then it's the first day of Pesach, and then the Pasuk tells us something finishes, something that's been with us for a long time, and that is the mun. For 40 years, the Jewish people have been eating the mun, and it finishes then. The Pasuk says that after the first day of Pesach, now they're eating the, um, they're eating the wheat, and the, uh, they're eating the, uh, whatever, the food that grows in the land of Eretz Yisrael, and the mun finished at that point in time. That's what the Pasuk says. However, Chazal tells us that really the month finished when Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. Um, we know the month initially came to the Jewish people in the schus of Moshe. Uh, the Gemara tells us that the month came in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Anani HaKovid, the, um, the clouds of glory, came in the schus of Aaron HaKoyen. And the Be'er, the water, came in the schus of Miriam. The three great Sadikim, who were a sister and two brothers who lead the Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, is Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. And each one was the source of one of these primary gifts, primal gifts. The Mon, the Anani HaKoved, and the Be'er HaShem Miriam. However, after Miriam passes away, so for, for a day the water ceases to be traveling with them, but it comes back in the Zchus of Moshe. After Aaron passes away, the heavenly clouds come back in the Zchus of Moshe. But when Moshe passes away, everything is lost. In other words, the, not lost, but it stops. The Mon stops, and the Anani Yaakovit stop, the uh, Clouds of Glory stop, and the Be'er Shemiriam. Once Moshe passes away, it all stops. But nevertheless, 
the miraculously they had leftovers. No, not not everybody likes leftovers, but mun mun leftovers. I guess everyone likes the mun leftovers lasted for a full month. So from when Moshe Rabbeinu passed away and on, on Zion other for a month and a week that is till Pesach, they were still eating the leftovers of the mun that they had. But that stopped now when they were when it's already Pesach and they're ready to conquer Yericho. That is the end of the Achilas Hamon. And they really had the mon, according to Chazal. The Pasuk says, Arboim Shana, 40 full years. Now, even though, if one is technical, really the mon started a month after they left Mitzrayim. So the mon started in the month of Ir, the second month. And the mon finished 40 years later in the month of Nisan. So it seems to be missing a month. The Gemara asks that question. Did they eat the mon for full 40 years, or was it 40 years minus a month? And the Gemara says that the matzah that they took out of them from Mitzrayim had the tam, had the taste of mun for the first month as well. So there was 40 full years that Kalal Yisrael ate mun. And it's interesting. So for 40 years we were sustained by this heavenly food. And the Medr says, it says, That it was very necessary for that generation, for us, when we received the Torah, for the first 40 years of our existence as a nation, we lived off the mun. Why is it so important? Why was it such an important gift that we lived off the mun and the Torah could only be given to us that ate the mun? So there's a couple of reasons given. I'll just say two quickly. One is because the mun was obviously a very spiritual, holy, miraculous type of food. And we know that we're affected by what we eat. What we eat very much affects who we are and what type of people we are. And if for 40 years we ate godly miraculous spiritual food that had a tremendously uh, tremendous spiritual power on the people. So the people of that generation, the Der Hamidbar is called a Der Deya. They had the greatest teacher of all time, Moshe Rabbeinu. They lived a totally miraculous lifestyle. They didn't have to do anything uh, as far as um, taking care of any physical needs. Everything was taken care of miraculously. And we lived off the mun for 40 years. That's one point. And another point is that the man, more than anything else, taught us bitachin, faith in Hashem. Because as delicious as the man was, there was zero security. You had nothing in the bank. right? You couldn't keep any man for the next day. So every day when everyone went to sleep, they knew, how are we going to eat tomorrow? Hashem is going to provide. So that the first 40 years of our existence, one of the lessons that we were taught every day is bitachin in Hashem. The total reliance... Uh, all of us know that there's uh, all of us have a need for some sense of security. Uh, what's going to be tomorrow? And what do we have in the bank for tomorrow? And what are we prepared for tomorrow? Uh, perhaps this year's events taught us a lot about Bitochen as well, of that uh, sense of ultimately security is only in Hashem. What's going to be tomorrow is only from Hashem. But that was the first 40 years we lived off that month. Okay, be that as it may, the month finishes. The day after Pesach. It's the end of that era of Mon, and there's no more Be'er Shel Miriam, and there's no more Nani Yaakovid. We're now in Eretz Yisrael, and things are becoming more uh, natural. A different type of existence is going to begin. And then it says, then we have the end of this chapter, the end of this Perik, one last interesting point. Yeshua says, uh, sees a... Uh, give me a second. But... They're just outside of Yericho. Yeshua lifts his eyes and he sees Ish Yeshua has this vision 
and he sees a man standing with a drawn sword. And Yeshua goes to him and says, who are you? Are you a friend or foe? And the person or the, the figure says, he's Anisar Tzva Hashem Ata Basi. He says, I'm a general, a minister, a malach of Hashem, and I've come now to you in order to help you. Right now you're going to start with the wars in Eretz Yisrael, and now you're going to start with the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, and I am the Sar Tzva Hashem. I'm the head of the host, the host of the armies of Hashem, and I'm here now to assist you. And um, he says, to, the Malach tells Yeshua to take his shoes off his feet, which was a sign of a Mokim Kodesh. And he says, I'm here to help you. But here, just, just one idea, Chazal tell us, that the Malach says, he says, Ata ba'asi, now I've come to you. What does he mean by saying, now I've come to you? There seems to be something, something in the wording there. He could have said, I'm, I'm here. What is this idea of now I'm coming to you? So Rashi says, and it's from the Gemara and the Midrashim, that really the Malach says, I came once before too. After the sin of the Egel, Hashem said that he's going to be more distant from the Jewish people and a Malach is going to be with them. But Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem in Parshas Kisisa, like only Moshe Rabbeinu can, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I don't want to go with a Malach. We want to go only with Hashem himself. And Moshe Rabbeinu was able to accomplish that. Hashem was, was, uh, was uh, listened and accepted Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillah. So although the Malach had already come in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, some 39 years earlier, after the story of the Egel, the Malach came to accompany the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu sent the Malach away. And he said, he said to Hashem, he says, over there in Pasha's Kisisa, that if you don't come with us, don't take us. We want to go only with Hashem. And therefore, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu's lifetime, his request was accepted, and the Malach was taken away, and Hashem himself traveled with Klal Yisrael. But now, after Moshe Rabbeinu's passing, and now they're going into Eretz Yisrael, and as we're seeing, some of these great miracles of the Mun and so on are stopping now. So also the Malach comes and says, now I'm going to continue my mission that I was sent to accompany all of you into Eretz Yisrael. So that is basically a summary of Perikei, the, uh, the fifth chapter of Yeshua, again, the concept of Brismila and the Korban Pesach, and the end of the Mun, and the Malach who came to them, all of this is discussed in this uh, chapter, in this Perikei of Yeshua. Okay, let's move on to Perik Vav, chapter 6. In Perik Vav we have another one of the great stories and tremendous miracles, and that is the first battle in Eretz Yisrael, and that is the conquest of Yerichai. You'll remember that Yerichai is on the border, that's the first uh, city that they're going to have to um, conquer, and it's also the city that Yeshua sent the Miraglim to. Right? In last week we talked about the two Miraglim, the two spies, that Yeshua sent to the city of Yericho, and there they went to the house of Rachav, and they stayed in the house, and so on. So now they actually come to Yericho, and Hashem gives very detailed instructions how Yericho is miraculously going to be um, overcome. And in Yericho you have uh, nations that are there, and these are uh, ter- you know, t- terrible enemies of the Jewish people. In general, we didn't talk about it yet, we'll probably talk about it next week, the nations that then lived in Eretz Yisrael were very immoral nations, very um, not godly people. Um, Yeshua had given them all the ability. He gave them three choices. Uh, three letters were sent. Uh, I'm sorry, a letter was sent to the nations of Israel with three options. One option is that they could leave. Another option is to make shalom with the Jewish people. And another to wage battle. And with the exception of two that we're going to learn about, 
all of them decided to uh, wage battle with the Jewish people. So a number of them were gathered in Yerichai, which was this uh, border city of Eretz Yisrael. And Hashem gives Yeshua very detailed instructions, and He says that for it's going to take seven days. And He says, every day of the seven days, I want the Koyhanim to carry the Oren and to encircle the city of Yerichai, carrying the Oren with the Luches Abris. Um, and this is unique, that the Koyanim are carrying the Oren. I mentioned last week that typically always the Levim carried the Oren. Throughout, um, whenever the Oren traveled, the Jewish people traveled, it was the tribe of Levi that carried the Oren. But there was three times in history that the Koyanim did. One was in the story of um, crossing over the Yardin, last week we discussed. And a second time is here. And Hashem says that the Koyanim should hold the Oren, and they should encircle Yerichai and go with other Koyanim who are carrying Shoifres. And they should encircle the city one time um, per day, starting Sunday. Go one time around the city and blow one blast with the shofar, and then come back to the Machane Yisrael, come back to where the Jewish people were encamped. And to do this on Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for six days. And then the seventh day, which is going to be Shabbos, he says, I want you to go with the Kayanim and all the Yidin, and everyone should encircle Yerichai. And at the end, and here, now they're going to encircle Yerichai seven times. So again, for six days of the week, they went one time around the city and returned back home. On the seventh day, they're going to encircle the city seven times. And at the end of the seven times, the Kayanim are going to blow on their the, the on the Shafris, and all Klal Yisrael is going to pull out Shafris and blow. And when everyone blows the Shafir together, the wall of Yerichai is miraculously going to be swallowed into the ground. And that's, of course, exactly what happens um, with Yeshua um, and the Kayanim leading the procession with the Aaron of Hashem and with the Shafris. And they did the six days, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on Shabbos, or Saka Shabbos, that they encircled the city seven times. They blew the Shafris, at which point the walls of the city miraculously were swallowed up. Obviously, the nations inside were totally stunned by the miracles that they were seeing. Klal Yisrael went in and was able to totally conquer and destroy whatever was stood in their way in conquering that first and um, the first city, which was the border city of Eretz Yisrael, the city of Yerichai. Um, obviously, there's so much uh, ideas here. Why was you know this idea of encircling the city and encircling it seven times? The Mefarshim talk about a number of different soydays, secrets of the Torah that's connected with the number of seven and connected with Shabbos. Yerichai fell on Shabbos. It's interesting that on Sukkot every year we do exactly this format, that we encircle the bima every day of Sukkot one time. And on the seventh day of Sukkot, on Eshanu Rabbah, we encircle the Bima seven times. That happens in every shul on Sukkot. And we have this same format of encircling, encircling, which is, and also we have by a chasana, we encircle seven times the chasana, um, the kala encircles the chasana. We have this concept of hakofa, of encircling, which again, there's, there's secrets to that, seydes atera, which we're not going to go into over here. Um, but that's what the Pasuk tells us, that that's how the first place in Eretz Yisrael was captured, was conquered by Kal Yisrael through using this uh, mysterious and, and, and holy format, uh, formula that Hashem gives them through Yehoshua. Now, when they come into Yerichai, they have a mission. Yes. Yes. In, 
Yes. In the base of Mikdash, was the shofar blown on Shabbos? The answer is yes. Yes. We don't blow the shofar on Shabbos nowadays, and that's called a from Rabbah, from the time of the Gemara. But in the base of Mikdash, the, the shofar was definitely blown on Shabbos. And here, as you're pointing out, and that's a very good um, uh, point, that here in the story of Yericha, which was also Shabbos, the shofar was clearly blown by direct instruction from Hashem. Right? Blowing a shofar is actually not a real malacha. It's not like a... Even if we were to blow a shofar today on Shabbos, it's not a... There's no Torah um, uh, iser. It's not one of the Lama test malachas. Uh, we don't do it. It's called uvdin dechayel. It's muktza. But it's not a malacha. But uh, so again, we don't blow it on Shabbos. And yet, in the Bessam Mikdash they did. And here in the story of Yericha, they definitely did as well. Now... Uh, going into Yerichi, they had a very specific mission, which was the mission of Hakora Satoiv, showing thankfulness, and that was to Rachov, who we discussed again last week. She's the one who hosted the two spies and hid the two spies when they came in, and they had promised her that her and all of her family members would be saved, right, as long as she left that uh, red thread in her window, and that's exactly what happens. The same Miraglim, the two spies that went into uh, Yerichi in the first place, Kalev and Pinchas, they went to her home and they rescued her and her entire family and brought them back to Klal Yisrael. I believe I mentioned even last week that this Rachav, although she wasn't Jewish, later became a Giyaris. She, um, she converted and is one of the examples of a person with a tremendously high neshama who had to come down in this world in a place, in a negative place, and convert. But ultimately, she, the, the Chazal tell us that she married Yeshua. As, as amazing as that is, Yeshua is the tzaddik, Yeshua is the leader of the Jewish people, and ultimately this woman, who is this obviously very high neshama, is able to come back to the Jewish people, she's able to convert, marries Yeshua, and they have a number of children, and from them is going to come many neviim, many prophets are going to come forth from the union of Yeshua and Rachav. I'll just ma- mention two famous ones. One is Yirmiya, the prophet Yirmiyahu is a great descendant of Yeshua and Rachav, and also Chulda, one of the prophetesses, one of the women prophets of Chal Yisrael, was Chulda Hanaviyah, and she also is a descendant of Yeshua and Rachav, who was rescued at that point in Yerichai. Now, Yeshua says that being that Yerichai is the first land, the first part of Eretz Yisrael that Hashem is giving us, He, he proclaimed a cheirem. A cheirem means that, every, that we were not meant to benefit from anything in Yerichai, any gold, any silver, any type of uh, any type of uh, riches that they would find in Yerichai is all Kodesh la Hashem. It's all for the Beis Hamikdash or the Mishkan, that is, and it's all for Hashem, and no one is allowed. Yeshua said, on pain of death, no one is allowed to in any way benefit uh, for personal a personal benefit or personal reasons from anything that they were going to find in Yerichai. And as the Mepharshim say, that just like the first thing that we get, we get, we should always give to Hashem. That's the concept of Truma. That's the concept of Bikurim. That the first thing, the Chala, the first thing that whenever we have something, the first thing, the choice thing we give to Hashem, Yeshua was doing that with Eretz Yisrael as well. And saying that here we're conquering a land, it shouldn't just be like soldiers are going into a land in order to have a good time, in order to accomplish and conquer what we need in our own for our own spoils of war. But rather he says, it's L'Shem Shemaim. And therefore, he made this total iser, this total um, prohibition of anyone in Klal Yisrael to, in any way, take any benefit from anything that comes in, ter- in uh, from Yerichai. And then he said something else. 
that to commemorate this greatness that Hashem gave us, and this was again the opener of our conquest of Eretz Yisrael, he says that this city should never be rebuilt. The city of Yerichai, as it is, should never be rebuilt. And Yeshua then says a famous curse. He says, if someone in history is ever going to work on rebuilding the city, he says, when he begins rebuilding, the first of his children will die. And when he finishes, the last of his children will die. And this actually happened. Much, much later, many years later, uh, Russia, a wicked person in the time of Achav, um, Chiel, and built Yericha, and the Pasuk says that that's what happened. He lost his children one by one as he was building it, because this was the klala, the curse that Yeshua gave, that Yericha, which Hashem gave us in this miraculous way, should not be rebuilt to always uh, remember the greatness that Hashem did with Yericha. Okay, that ends the uh, summary of chapter 6, Perek Vav. Let's go a little bit further, let's go into Perek Zion, chapter 7 of Yeshua. And here is we have someone who uh, transgresses Yeshua's cherem. So as we said in chapter 6, that Yeshua said that no one is to benefit, take any personal benefit from Yerichai. There was a person in the Jewish people, his name was Ochan, and he was from the tribe of Yehuda, from the descendants of Zerach, the son of Yehuda. And this Ochan was a Russia. He was a very wicked person, and the Medrash and the Gemara tells us of, uh, that he was really a, ter- a, a terrible Russia, did many, many different types of Averis. Uh, but he wasn't necessarily known, not everybody knew about him, but somehow people did not do enough to stop him or to, uh, to be mashpia in him in a proper way. Be that as it may, this Achon found some very beautiful things in Yerichai, uh, some beautiful garments and beautiful uh, monetary things, and he wanted them and he took them. Now, but nobody knew, nobody knew about it. He took things. Uh, he found things during the battle, during the war, took them to his tent, buried them in his tent. Nobody knew about this. But when this was done and the mitzvah was transgressed, so Hashem's, over here the Jewish people were on this you know, winning streak, so to speak, and Hashem's favor was with them, but here at this point there was a gzera against the Jewish people. Um, one, of, uh, one of the great rules that we have, which is great and is terrible at the same time, and that is that we, as a Klal Yisrael, are dependent one on, one on another, very much dependent. And we're responsible one for another. And even though many times people have a feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm on my own, I'll do it myself, what does anyone else have to do with it? Um, we're taught in the Torah, Kol Yisrael Arevin Zelozeh, we carry, uh, we're guarantors, and we carry responsibility one for the other. And even though only one sinned, that had a negative effect on Klal Yisrael as a whole. And therefore, as the Pasuk tells us, what happens is, that the next city after Yerichai that they had to go and uh, in their conquest was a small city called Ai. Ai in Yud, Ai. And the Pasuk says that uh, Yeshua sent some, sp- some spies to Ai, and the spies came back and said, it's a small city, it's no big deal. You know, it's not like Yerichai. And we don't have to mobilize the whole Jewish people, we don't have to send out the whole army. They said, send out 2,000 soldiers, 3,000 soldiers tops. It's not a big deal. Ai is not a big deal. And, but what happens is that when Yeshua sends a couple thousand soldiers to Ai, they lose. In other words, they're, they're not able to conquer the city. Not just that, the Pasuk says that the people from Ai uh, come out and they're able to kill from the Jewish people. It says, um, the wording of the Pasuk is, Kishloishim Vesheish Ish, like 36 people. So what does it mean, like 36 people? So you can learn only around 36 people, but Chazal tell us that really they killed one person, but it was a tremendous tzaddik, 
And it's the reason 36, because 36 represents half of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is uh, 71 people. 36 is more than half of the Sanhedrin. So as he was a tzaddik, that was equal to 36, to half of the Sanhedrin. And that was actually the son of Menashe, Yair ben Menashe, who was a... Um, okay, Menashe is one of the, the Shvatim, or one of the sons of Yosef, anyways. So Yair ben Menashe was a big tzaddik, mentioned earlier in the Torah, and he was killed in that battle. And now the Jewish people come back to Yeshua and they're devastated. You know, finally we thought we were we were winning and we come into Yisrael and we had the big miracle with the uh, Yardin and then we have the miracle of Yerichai. So there was this sense of we're going with Hashem and nothing can stand in our way. And now they lost the battle. And it wasn't even, they didn't think it was going to be a significant battle like we said before. So the Pasuk talks about this, so Yeshua, Yeshua cries, Yeshua cries out to Hashem. And he says, what's going on, and what's happening, and why did we send, you send us into Yisrael, and now we're to lose? Where is the protection that we were promised? And at that point, Hashem tells Yeshua, He says, it's, uh, my protection is with you, my bracha is with you, but the nation sinned. He said, and because the nation sinned, so the protection is taken away until you uh, are able to eradicate the sinfulness that there is in the nation. And Hashem tells Yeshua that that cheyrem, that cheyrem that I... Um, that we made, that that I told you to make, that nothing, that no person should be able should uh, benefit, take physical benefit from the land of Yerichai was transgressed. So you have to find the person who did it. So you have an interesting matter. Yeshua asks Hashem, "So who did it?" So Hashem says, "What? I should talk lashon hara? I should tell you? I should tell you? You have to find it. You have to figure this out. You have to figure this out on your own." So Yeshua figures it out, and he figures it out in a miraculous way. Basically, what he does is he has. Every shevet comes before the Urim. And they walk one by one. And, Hash, and Yeshua says that the shevet, that the sin is from them, the Urim will show us who it is. And when the shevet Yehuda passed before the Urim, the men who were passing by froze. They couldn't move. So Yeshua says it's definitely from the shevet Yehuda. So he says, let all the families from shevet Yehuda come by. And then that family froze. And then that person froze. And miraculously, it became clear that it was Achan. And Yeshua tells Achan, he says, he says, admit, be misvad, confess, confess to your sin, because um, true, you sinned, and you'll be punished for your sin. As as I said initially, Yeshua said that anyone who's going to take benefit will be put to death. But if you have vidu, if you say a proper vidu, proper confession, then the putting to death will be a kapara, will be an atonement, and you'll be able to go to Elam Habba. And that's what happens. We have in the pasuk, Achan is misvad. Achan confesses, in fact, he says, not just that, Achan says, not just I did this, he says, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu also made cheirim different times, I always ended up stealing from it, I have, a, I have an old problem, many, many years that I do this, that I don't follow the words of Moshe Rabbeinu and Yeshua, and ultimately, and, and he says, not just that, he says, he says, go back to my tent, and he says exactly where I hid the stuff, and they go back to the tent, and they find it, and Achan is put to death, and here the Gemara says that he did shuvah. That as he was, uh, he did vidu and he did shuva, and therefore it's, uh, the Gemara learns from the Psukim that although at that point he was punished, but he was Zaycha to Elam Haba, even though he was such a balavera really throughout his lifetime, but he was able to do shuva at the end of his life. Now, here, I'll, um, isn't it one, uh, perhaps I'll conclude with an interesting point, and that is this story of I, of this story, so the whole battle with I, it's all about that city, the second city. After Yerichai, there's the city of I. So they, they go there and they lose, and then they have a story with Achan, and in the next parak, which we'll go into next week, they um, they battle I again, and this time they're victorious because Hashem's with with them again. 
But it's interesting, in Parsha Sashavua, we're learning now Vayera, uh, the story of Avram Avinu. So last week, in the beginning of Parsha Lechlecha, so Hashem tells Avram, you know, Lechlecha, Me'artzecha, you leave your land and go to the land of Eretz Yisrael. So Avram comes, well, it's Eretz Canaan at the time. Avram comes to Eretz Canaan, and as soon as he comes there, it says Hashem reveals himself to Avram, and he says, Lazaracha, Atenas Aras, I will give your children this land. So Avram Avinu immediately um, makes him his beach to thank Hashem. First of all, because he, he just told him he's going to have children. Avram didn't have yet children. And also, you're going to inherit the land, so he makes him his beach. Then the Pasuk says that Avram travels to Ai and builds another Mizbeach. But the Pasuk doesn't say, why does he build a second Mizbeach? And this is, again, right? This is 400 years before this story that we're talking about, 430 years before this story. More, 400, uh, 470 years before the story where we're holding now in Navi. And Avram builds a Mizbeach in Ai. Says Rashi, again, and this is in last week's Parsha, Lech Lecha in the beginning, Rashi says, why did Avram build a Mizbeach in Ai? Because with prophecy, with Nevuah, Avram saw the trouble that's going to be in the city of Ai with Yeshua ben Nun. With Yeshua ben Nun and Ochon and the Jewish people losing a battle and Yord ben Menashe dying and then they have to battle again. And Avram Avinu, like a, like a loving father, was already davening for us then. And this goes into the idea of Maisa Oves, Simen Labanim, that the Oves, Avram, and Sarah, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Rachel, Leah, they were already thinking about and davening for and working for Klal Yisrael hundreds of years in advance. So here in, in our very first parsha, learning about Avram Avinu, he's already make, building a Mizbeach in this very same city, that 400, some 470 years later, this great-great-great-grandson, uh, of Achan, who comes from Shevet Yehuda, is going to sin and cause the first major downfall of the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael when they finally come into Eretz Yisrael. But ultimately, as we said, that sin is able to be atoned for. Achan himself does, uh, is, uh, confesses, and Hashem's anger is averted. And therefore, as we move on into uh, the next parak, which is chapter 8, uh, Klai Yisrael again is going to battle Ai, and this time victoriously. And um, we will continue that in Mirza Hashem next week.